Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and this week I'm going to talk about blue-black in Phyrexia All-Be-One. As always, the notes are available to follow along at uh, patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. Yeah, getting right into it. Blue-black is the worst performing color pair on 17 lands in this format. Um, it's the third least drafted archetype, though it's still drafted about as much as red-black and blue-green combined. So... You have an uphill battle. That's just where uh, you know this format is. The blue and the black cards are not uh, the most powerful cards in the format in a vacuum. You have to try to make something out of them. I know that there are some uh, players who have had success, and I would say are like blue-black enthusiasts. Uh, you could call them blue-black apologists, I suppose, if you were so inclined. But uh, I don't think it's unplayable i think it's like a lot better than say like blue black and kaldheim but it is behind i think it is usually most successful as a deck with a low curve that has an appreciable proliferate theme i do think that that's not the only way to draft it but i think that that's the most common way to get a successful blue black deck together a lot of the best performing cards on 17 lands um, commons uncommons have proliferate and the others are like cheap toxic creatures, removal, and taxi and raptor. On the subject of stats, I'm going to go into stats on a bunch of individual cards, but the first one I want to talk about is Prologue to Phyresis. This one's pretty significant. It has good stats among top players, but really bad stats among all players. It is pretty heavily played. Uh, it's like the fifth most played card in the archetype. But it has, like, a really bad win rate. Like, pretty far down, like, decks that contain it do worse than decks that don't contain it. Like, everything about the stats make it look like it's a card that you don't want to get involved with. Among top players, it actually performs well. Uh, it's kind of near the top of the cards in blue-black. And I don't think that that's because Prologdophyresis is a difficult card to play. You spend two mana, your opponent gets a poison, and you draw a card. That's not what's going on here. The thing that's difficult is identifying which decks to put it in. And I think that there are some blueback decks that want it and benefit from having it, but this is not a format that generally rewards you for spending two mana to draw a card without impacting the board. And if you are not the exact kind of deck that takes maximum advantage of Prologue to Phyresis, it's probably not going to be a good inclusion in your deck. So handle with care. When in doubt, don't play it. But there are, again, a few decks that do actually want it. You need to pay attention to how good you are at getting your opponent corrupted, like whether you have other ways to do it or whether this is an important way to do it, and how many cards care that you get your opponent corrupted, and whether you're actually trying to get your opponent to 10 poison to kill them. And be careful there, because the question is both how realistic is it to get them to 10 poison, and does it matter if you kill them with 10 poison? Like, if your deck has other cards that are probably going to kill your opponent, then you don't necessarily need to try to, like, burn your opponent out with Prologue to Phyresis and Proliferates. It's really, like... If you're not sure, like when in doubt, don't play Prologue to Phyresis, I think is my conclusion from how overplayed the stats suggest the card is. 
Another similar card in Glistener Seer. I talked about how I'm not a person who believes in this card in Blue Red and that the stats also don't support it. I looked at a bunch of Blue Black trophy winning decks and most of the decks that I looked at had Glistener Seer in it. It was it very frequently appeared in trophy winning Blue Black decks. However, it has bad stats even in opening hands, even among top players. I think that it's an also ran in decks that were good enough to trophy anyway, and that trophy decks had it because a lot of blue black decks have it, not because Glistener Seer was actually contributing meaningfully to those wins. I think Glistener Seer is significantly overplayed and very low impact and uh, generally best to avoid. I think kind of the most damning stat for Glistener Seer is that it's a one-mana creature with a game-in-hand win rate that is not higher than its game-played win rate. And if it's not helping you in your opening hand and it's a one-mana creature, something really wrong is going on. Whisper of the Dross is the top-performing common in blue-black among top players, and uh, a lot of trophy-winning blue-black decks have multiple copies. I think it's... uh, very good. I think that uh, most blue-black decks want to have multiple copies. It's very cheap. It occurs to me that I should be use, uh, saying what these cards do a little bit more. We're late into the format, and I usually take it for granted. So hopping back a little bit, Prologue to Phyresis, I vaguely uh, mentioned, was one in a blue. Draw a card, your opponent gets a poison. Whisper uh, Glistener Seer is the O3 with three uh, oil that can tap to sc- uh, remove a counter and scry. And Whisper of the Dross is the one-mana instant that gives a creature minus one, minus one until end of turn and proliferates. Whisper of the Dross is pretty good at trading for a card for one mana, and uh, then you get the proliferate on top of that. There are plenty of one-toughness creatures that you care about, and then on top of that, uh, it's not that hard to generate a combat where Whisper of the Dross lets you kill their creature, especially with Jutaxian Raptor. Um, the ability to kind of move Raptor's stats around uh, makes it particularly easy to have a combat where Whisper of the Dross picks something off. I, I think that Whisper of the Dross, Gitaxi, and Raptor is a subtle combo that's pretty good in this archetype. Next up, pretty significantly, Vivisurgeon's Insight has really good stats. It's like a top five type common among both uh, top players and players overall in the archetype. It's a card that I was really, really low on early in the format, uh, and I still think most blue decks want to avoid. This is uh, three blue-blue sorcery, draw three cards, proliferate. I think it's actually an important card for blue-black. I think most blue-black decks want one. I think it's okay to play more than one. I think that it's kind of the best thing going on in terms of filling your deck with cheap removal and then pulling ahead late. Blue-black is actually pretty good at just like making one-for-one exchanges, and you're definitely looking for some proliferate cards, and this both lets you get that proliferate and draws you into more stuff that proliferates, so it can uh, kind of be the start of really popping off uh, if you're one of those decks that has a lot of uh, proliferate cards and triggers, especially if you're kind of the like burn deck, being the deck that's trying to use like Prologue to Phyresis and the other black cards that give your opponent poison counters directly and then proliferate to uh, ramp those up. 
it's pretty easy to just like chain into casting a bunch of spells that kill your opponent, starting with Vivisurgeon's Insight. On that note, it's interesting to me how much blue-black has the ability to play a lot more like a blue-red deck normally would. Like, I talked before when I was doing the podcast on blue-red about how the, like, spell-slinger archetype, the, like, spells matter and creatures that care about casting spells, like, thing just didn't really come together in this set. But I think it actually kind of did come together in blue-black. It's still the case that, like, Icker Synthesizer is not a particularly exciting card for the deck. That's the 1-3 for uh, 1 and a blue that gets an oil when you play a non-creature spell and gets plus 2, plus 0, and unblockable uh, when it has 4 counters on it. That's just not really what you're trying to do. Like, the more spells you have in your blue-black deck, the more likely it is that you're trying to kill your opponent with poison rather than damage. And the 1-3 is an acceptable blocker, but you can do so much better if you have like the 1-3 that drains your opponent for 2 and you proliferate, for example. But because there are so many cards that deal incidental damage to your opponent uh, in the form of giving them poison counters or proliferating, you can actually draft kind of like what in the old days would have been called like a counterburn deck where you're just like control and incidental damage until your opponent dies, but where the damage, again, is poison counters. Yeah, blue-black can potentially have a very low creature count, and importantly, its spells can do like the heavy lifting in terms of actually killing your opponent, which is pretty rare and limited, especially for blue-black. If you don't have proliferate payoffs, do you think there's another possible approach to blue-black, which is just like removal and two-for-ones? This uses cards like Stinging Hivemaster, Testament Bearer, Cruel Grimnark, Ambulatory Edifice, Nimrazor Paladin. All of those are black cards, and I think that this deck is pretty similar to a deck that I discussed as an option with uh, red-black. Like, that's just what's going on. I think that you can play, like, the black grindy package with, like, any other support color. Red might be better than blue as that support color because it offers more cheap removal. But I think that, you know, there, there are some reasonable blue cards that can round out that deck. This is mostly to say if you find yourself in blue black, you don't need to obsess about doing poison and proliferate. You should prioritize drafting a reasonable control deck with good curve and good removal and then your plan to actually kill your opponent could be the like poison proliferate thing or it could be casting a bunch of black value creatures and blue value creatures for that matter you know if you have like some uh like fishers or whatever like that's not the end of the world the five mana four three flyer that loots when you play it and again, I think that you're kind of figuring out whether you're like the burn deck or the value deck later in the draft, kind of based on the late picks. Your early picks should be, you know, bombs, removal, generically good cards for your color combination. And then, you know, late in the pack, you figure out if you're seeing more like Testament Bearer, Cruel Grimnark cards, or if you're seeing more like lose to draw to poison your opponent uh frasca's fall type cards and i think you want to try to focus in one of those directions either go like yeah i'm just going to play a bunch of like cards that interact a little bit but mostly i'm playing them to get some poison on my opponent or 
I'm playing a bunch of like, you know, kind of expensive value creatures and I'm going to grind my opponent out and uh, win through combat. What you don't want is the hybrid strategy where you're playing some cards that aren't like a great rate because you're paying a little bit to poison your opponent and then also playing some creatures that maybe don't help you in the early game and mostly exist to give you a way to finish your opponent off. Because like, then you're in kind of uh, what I joke about is like the beat mill strategy where you have like both aggressive creatures and cards that mill your opponent and you are trying to like win either way but not really focusing on either. Similar situation here where you want to figure out like if you're winning through damage or if you're winning through poison and make sure that the part of your deck that's not just dedicated to staying alive and answering their stuff and giving you value is focused on a single coherent plan to win the game. And again... Either one can work, and both either one comes together largely through late picks. So it's really just a matter of making sure that the cards that you're taking in the back half of the pack uh, make sense with each other. To some extent, of course, the cards that you see early, like how many really good uh, cards you have that get poison on your opponent early and stuff like that, that will inform uh, which of these two plans you want to go for, right? Like if you have you know, some bilious skull dwellers, the uh, one, one death touch toxic creature and void wing hybrids that are going to get poison counters on your opponent in the early game. It's more likely that you want to play the like poison strategy to finish them off. Whereas if you just, you know, have some other cards, maybe your early picks were just like removal and card draw, then uh, you might want to focus on the creatures. So I think that's kind of like the main thing to be thinking about in terms of like finding your lane within blue black, like acknowledge that there are kind of two different decks here, but that they have the same core. Yeah, you need you need to figure out how to sort that out throughout the draft. Other cards that are uh, frequently played and have questionable stats. Acre Synthesizer. I talked about that before. The one three uh, that gets um, that eventually becomes a three three unblockable again. Most of the time, this isn't really meaningfully contributing to how you kill your opponent. Arguably, if you're on the, like, Testament Bear Cruel Grimnark plan, where you're, at least you're, like, trying to attack and damage your opponent, it could help with that. But those, like, your finisher creatures are kind of going to be good enough to do that by themselves. Arguably, you could have, like, a version of the deck where Icker Synthesizer itself is your, fin- like, plan to win the game. But... It's not very strong and it's pretty fragile and I don't think it would be among the better plans. Annihilating Glare is another card that's uh, played frequently and doesn't have very good stats. It's not terribly difficult to justify Annihilating Glare if you have a couple of things you don't mind sacrificing. Some Stinging Hive Masters, Testament Bearers, that kind of stuff. But it's worth noting that like the ceiling on Annihilating Glare is really not that high. It's sorcery speed. I can't overstate how much sorcery rather than instant always matters on a removal spell. And when you're spending five mana, you're usually trading down a lot. And when you're not spending five mana, you're still losing an object. And maybe that object doesn't matter a lot, but it's not nothing. Annihilating Glare is playable in a pinch if you don't have enough removal. Uh, I've put it in decks sometimes, but it's certainly never an overperformer. 
Chrome Prowler, not surprisingly, just doesn't really factor into what you're doing and doesn't provide a lot of value. I did see one successful deck, like a trophy deck with multiple Chrome Prowlers that was uh, very much doing the like Testament Bearer, Numerazor Paladin, Grimnark thing. And the deck had two Numerazor Paladins, which made the Chrome Prowlers seem a little bit better. And they can like let you get a big Testament Bearer hit in. I think if you're playing like very much the creature-focused damage-based version of the deck, Chrome Prowler could be an acceptable card to include. But if you're like not doing that, if you're on the poison strategy, you really shouldn't touch Chrome Prowler. Infectious Inquiry, that's the uh, draw to lose to give your opponent a poison. Again, I think that this card is good in very specific versions of the deck, but spending two mana and losing two life is or spending three mana and losing two life and not affecting the board is really a big ask in this format this is another one where i think you need to be really careful that you're playing it in the right version of the deck where you really care about that poison counter and not playing it otherwise bone picker scourge that's the uh two two flying death touch lifelink if you if your opponent's corrupted this deck's not usually reliably great at getting your opponent corrupted early and if it is then bone picker scourge isn't really helping you all that much with your plan i suspect it gets played a lot in decks that like will often get their opponent corrupted eventually but not at a point in the game where like the scourge is doing much also i mean scourge is not a great card it's a fundamentally a win drake Jetaxian Anatomist and Meldweb Curator. Those are the uh, four mana blue creatures. The 2-5 that can tap itself to proliferate and the 3-4 that can put an instant or sorcery from your graveyard on top of your library. Uh, both of those do very badly. I've tried playing them. They're unimpressive. And Dross Skullbomb. Also notably, Tapped Lands, uh, the Dross Pit, Terramorphic Expanse, and the Surgical Bay. It's hard to figure out exactly how to read the uh, stats for tap lands in this format because you know you're theoretically just comparing them to basic lands so the thing that i looked at that i thought could give me a little bit of information is just did decks that play these cards have a higher or lower win rate than aggregate blue black decks and i think they had a lower win rate now in the case of terramorphic expanse that could be because People are more likely to play Terramorphic Expanse when they're splashing, and they're more likely to splash when their colors aren't very open in the draft. And so they're more likely to play Terramorphic Expanse when the draft just isn't going very well. So I don't like to read a lot into Terramorphic Expanse's uh, like gameplayed win rate, but with the other ones, I feel like it might not correspond as closely to anything in particular. And uh, the fact that they have like pretty bad win rates makes me wonder if blue-black is kind of good enough at spending mana uh, that the tap land hurts appreciably. I don't know that that would, you know, get me to not play like the first tap land or two in my blue-black decks, but uh, it definitely raises some questions for me about, you know, trying to be careful about playing tap lands in these decks. So that's kind of the cards that stood out as... Uh, being played more than their stats justified among the commons. Vivisurgeon's 
Insight, the five mana draw three proliferate. It looks, according to stats, appreciably underplayed in blue-black. Um, it has good stats. It goes late. It should be easy to pick it up, easy to play it if you want, and people still play it pretty rarely. I would suggest that that means that the aggregate player, of which you, listener, might be a part, is not valuing this card properly and not playing it enough in blue-black. Uh, you should look for spots to take and play it a little bit more if you are blue-black. The case is less clear, but Testament Bearer and Cruel Grimnark might also be underplayed. Like I said, only some decks want them. They only have decent stats, and like the high synergy blue-black decks don't want them. So like it's not that weird that they would be played in low numbers, but it's worth noting that they have like pretty solid stats relative to how much they're played, uh, which you know lends some credibility in my mind to the idea that this like backup uh value creature plan is a totally reasonable way to approach the format also incidentally at the time of recording this podcast i'm in i'm currently 4-0 with a kind of even three color grixis deck that is you know doing a bit of that i have like a cruel grimnark that's been playing pretty well um at the top of my curve i feel reasonably confident that there's something to that direction being viable the biggest traps by far, traps here meaning cards that are played just like a very large amount and have pretty bad win rates, as I've kind of already gotten at, are uh, Prologue to Phyresis and Icar Synthesizer. They just don't do very well, but they're played a lot. Again, you know, I think that blue-black gets to kind of exist in this like spells matter space, and I think it's a matter of people looking for a home for these cards that clearly play well together and kind of make sense with the rest of the archetype but again they're just not very good and i think you know the deck is better off if you can avoid them there are a few uncommons that are played reasonably often despite horrible stats that i want to tell people to watch out for atmosphere surgeon the two mana two one that gets an oil when you cast on creature spell and can remove an oil to give something flying Watchful Blisterzoa, the uh, six mana four four that it has an oil counter, and when it dies, you draw a card for each oil counter. And Ravenous Necrotitan, I believe all three of those have win rates below fifty percent and are played reasonably often. Ravenous Necrotitan is the two black black six six that you have to sacrifice a creature if your opponent's not corrupted. And then some cards that are kind of on the watch list. <laughs> In terms of like they have just like a little over 50% stats, like not good stats overall, um, but they're like played reasonably often for uncommons, uh, despite having like stats that are like below the normal win rate for the deck are Necroskeeto, Shieldra's Edict, and Reject Imperfection. So that's the four mana flyer that has power and toughness equal to oil and comes into play with two oil and gets an oil whenever one of your creatures or artifacts dies. Shieldred's Edict, which is the uh, two-mana instant speed edict where you get to choose whether they sack a creature, a non-token creature, a creature token, or an artifact, and Reject Imperfection, which is blue-blue one instant uh, counter-target spell proliferate if it uh, costs three or less. So those cards all have like not very good win rates, but when you switch to looking at top players, Shieldred's Edict becomes one of the best uncommons instead of this like appreciably below average uncommon, which is kind of weird. I guess there's a bit of play to it, but that might just be an exercise in variation in the data and small sample sizes and stuff. So 
I wouldn't assign a ton of weight to like the stats saying don't touch Nakarskito, Shieldred's Edict, and Reject Imperfection. I think all of those are cards that have like some chance in uh, blue black, but their stats are not exciting. Top uncommons are pretty obvious. Drown and Icker is the two mana minus four minus four proliferate sorcery. I think that's the top performing uncommon for both top players and players overall. Bilius Skull Dweller, the 1 uh, 1 Death Touch Toxic and Voidwing Hybrid are number two and three for players in general. Weirdly, among top players, Atraxis Skitterfang jumps to second. Voidwing Hybrid stays in third. Bilius Skulldweller drops considerably. And uh, Numerazer Paladin, which has like pretty average stats among all players, jumps to fourth. I have a lot of trouble parsing everything about the like a- average player versus top player uh, movement in cards. And I still don't know if it's just like, well, top player reflects such a small sample size and such a small number of players that like a player drafting a certain version of a deck could swing it significantly or something. So grain of salt there, but all of those commons listed at least have decent um, chance of being good. Also, yeah, so among top players like Tamiyo's Immobilizer, the four mana artifact that has four counters and uh, can tap something by removing a counter, and Shield Radiator can do well. Quick notes on rares. Mercurial Spelldancer, the uh, two mana two one that uh, gets a counter when you cast non-creature spell, is unblockable. When it hits your opponent, you can remove two oil to copy your next spell. Has like basically replacement level common type stats. I think it's a little bit better than that and suffers from people, you know, like first picking it and then uh, just kind of having whatever deck they and like, you know, forcing like it costs a high pick and locks people into spots they shouldn't necessarily be in and might like get people to play more like prologue to phyresis in decks where it's not great and stuff like that. But the stats suggest that it's really not a card you should be taking early. Vran, the two mana two two that drains your opponent for two, uh, the first time each turn that a creature you control dies, has only slightly better stats. I think that card's pretty good, but again, not something you should be excited to first pick. And then the following rares are played a decent amount and have win rates below fifty percent. So pretty strong evidence that you shouldn't be playing these. Uh, Blade of Shared Selves, um, the three mana blue uh, clone equipment, Phyrexian Arena, and Tablet of Completion. Phyrexian Arena, I'm assuming people know because it's an old and famous card. Black, black, one enchantment at the beginning of your upkeep, lose life, and draw a card. And Tablet of Completion, a two mana artifact that you can tap to uh, put an oil counter on it. And then when it has two oil counters, you can tap it for colorless mana. And when it has five oil counters, you can spend a mana and tap it to draw a card. Really, really slow. Despite knowing that, I still kind of want to try Tablet in like a heavy proliferate, heavy removal deck. But the stats really indicate that you shouldn't be doing that. But I don't know. Sounds fun to me. Again, I think you need like the exact right deck for it. And people are probably playing it and just kind of a deck with a bit of proliferate or whatever, but also maybe it's bad no matter what.
entirely possible. It's not a good top deck. It's don't do it, but I probably will at some point. <laughs> so I think that basically covers, you know, what I have to say. I think the deck is certainly in the controlling space, but again, can end up kind of like racing slash like turning the corner with burn in this like weird spell slinger kind of way. But like, despite that, I think even in those spots, you really want to focus on kind of like not taking damage and like not falling behind in the early game and then sort of figuring it out turns like five to eight in terms of like starting to burn your opponent out. So controlling deck can go either poison or value creatures touched on some cards to avoid some cards that are a little underdrafted and uh that's what i got so we're gonna turn it over to chat for questions so uh yeah any any questions people have anything i haven't addressed put it in the twitch chat now and i'll get to it shortly um while i'm waiting for that to uh populate I want to thank the newest patrons at patreon.com slash drafting archetypes, Brendan and Ryan. Thank you so much for the support. If anyone else is um, interested in checking out uh, the offerings, supporting the program, go to patreon.com slash drafting archetypes and all the information is there for you. So anyone got anything for me? The first question is, should we only play Demir Toxic Burn? If not that, don't mess with it at all. I am not sure exactly how to parse that. Is the question, is Demir Toxic Burn the only deck you should draft? No, you should draft most other decks uh, with higher preference than that deck. Is the question, if you're playing Toxic Burn, should you exclusively be Demir? I don't think very many other color pairs support it very well. Is the question, if you're Demir, should you be exclusively Toxic Burn? Again, no, I talked about how you can be like control into value creatures instead. Not not exactly sure where to go with that. Oh, I guess the other question is, are you supposed to only be Demir as opposed to with a splash? As I mentioned, my current deck, which I think is very much in like the blue-black space, although less of a toxic burn deck, is Grixis. And as always... You know, the more controlling, the longer the games you're playing, the more card selection you have, the easier it is to splash. I do think blue-black broadly is a deck that can splash reasonably well. Any third color splashes that do particularly well in this deck? The way that question is phrased makes it look like a question about the stats. Uh, I certainly haven't compared those, but as far as my own opinion and experience, I think splashing any or multiple colors is reasonable. Largely a question of like which bombs you're seeing, um, but uh, I also, you know, like in white among commons, I'm reasonably happy to splash the two mana pacifism type card and indoctrination attendant, the four mana three four that picks up a permanent and makes a might. Uh, those are kind of the most splashable white cards in general. Fine splashing them here. In green, among commons, you'd be most likely to splash Vorak, although it's a bit of a weird splash, but it does proliferate, which is, you know, of course, big game. And then you could even splash something like Universe Canopy, three mana sorcery that destroys an artifact enchantment or flyer and proliferates as a way to get some more proliferates. And of course, there are plenty of uh, uncommons that are recently on plan that you could splash. And then in red, 
You're of course looking at Volt Charge as kind of the biggest gain being both an efficient removal spell and proliferate source. I think it actually has the highest win rate among commons in blue-black. So definitely an appealing one uh, to try to splash there. And then of course, Hexfold Slash is always good to have in a control deck. If you go the poison route, should you prioritize Scrap Trap? I think Scrap Trap is generally pretty good in blue-black and uh, definitely nice in the poison route as it like blocks reasonably well and contributes a significant amount of extra poison counters. So yeah, I, th I think Scrap Trap is a reasonably solid card to prioritize. I don't think you should take it early in general just because like it goes late and you don't want too many fives, but I think it's a card you're perfectly happy to play. Any other overplayed cards have better win rates for top players? Uh, nothing that stood out to me. Or I only play it if I get the gold cards, Venser and the 2-1 flyer, but maybe I should be playing it more often. Again, this is the archetype that uh, wins the least. And I do think that you need to have some good card that pulls you into it. I think that in general, uh, waiting to be pulled into it by cards like Venser and Kaito and Voidwing Hybrid is a totally reasonable approach to blue-black. How do you recognize this archetype is open and uh, you should go into it? Well, <laughs> kind of like I was just saying, if everything else is cut and uh, they're like the only cards you're seeing, that's one way. The other way is, again, to start with premium gold cards and just kind of hope it's open. Do you feel Serum Snare a plus card in proliferate versions. Yes, Serum Snare is a good card and particularly good if you care about the proliferate. How much do you value Anoint with Affliction over the minus four, minus four uh, sorcery? I uh, value Anoint below the minus four, minus four sorcery uh, in a deck with little. So minus four, minus four sorcery, Drown and Nicker is the best uncommon in the archetype. It is better than Anoint with Affliction in a uh, vast majority of blue-black decks. It's very rare th that you should take Anoint over Drown and Inicker. How do you evaluate Gutaxian Raptor in the burn style of deck as it's just a decent blocker and can... Yeah, I, th I think it's, you know, Raptor is a fine defensive curve filler in any version of the deck. You are not generally, you know, trying to rely on it for attacking regardless. And so I don't think it like matters a whole lot. You know, I, I talked about how early you're just trying, kind of trying to draft a good, just the, the core of a good curve control deck. And I think Utaxian Raptor is part of that shell of just like, I want a reasonable control deck. Um, and then it doesn't, and then that can be rounded out with either the, you know, narrow, slightly weaker, uh, like, give poison type cards or the narrow slightly weaker like big value creature type cards are you ever happy when you are solidly blue black after just a few picks or should we spec on better colors and early picks for example uh hex gold slash first venser pack one pick one i would take venser i think venser is awesome i think that red is getting to the point where it's like pretty highly drafted so but uh you know this is largely going to be a matter of Comfort and how you're prioritizing other cards in the draft. Like, it's not a good idea to start with Fencer if you're going to third pick a Rabble over a Raptor, for example. Like, if you start with Fencer and then you second pick 
like an anoint or whatever. And then third pick, there's a Chimney Rabble or a Jutaxian Raptor. If you're going to be like, oh, actually, Rabble's open. I bet I can move into red. I'd rather be red than blue-black. Then you shouldn't waste your time getting into blue-black because you're just going to pivot out at the drop of a hat. Whereas if you know you would continue to stay the course and take the Raptor there, then it's probably worth taking really good blue-black cards and you know trying to end up in a strong blue-black deck. All this stuff is just going to vary from player to player, but I don't think I think that you know Venser is a really strong card. It's very easy to draft a good deck around, and I'm happy to start with it. Do 17 lands show win rates among top players for color combinations? I am actually not sure interesting question i weirdly not something i've checked i guess i can try to check that right now among top players blue black performs better than golgari by an appreciable margin but still worse than everything else how strong is mesmerizing dose here i was expecting to hear it with top card or with the trap cards uh it hasn't seemed very strong to me it is medium its stats are fine. It's neither a top card nor a card that performs particularly poorly. It is playable because you do really value the proliferate part, and you know you, it's a way to like do that without falling behind on the board. But it's not exceptional. It's just like you know a, a solid, replaceable, but not embarrassing card in the archetype. Does the five five blue vehicle fit into this uh into the non-poison version of this deck i think that it's worse than the black creatures but potentially not embarrassing i don't think it has i think its stats are pretty bad and i would generally try to avoid it but like if you're looking for like if you're failing to find top end and you have like a control shell that's like lacking a way to win i could see playing it Someone suggests that a way to recognize when blueback is open is to note a prologue to Phyresis in the like earlier in the middle of pack one and then jump into blueback if the prologue to Phyresis wheels. I understand the sentiment, especially because prologue to Phyresis is overplayed in the archetype, so someone taking it would suggest that another player is in blue black and uh, you'd then want to avoid it. But I would also suggest that if Prologue isn't wheeling, that might be a sign that the other player in blue-black, if that's what's happening, is prioritizing specifically that direction. And you might actually be able to share the cards with them reasonably well if you're just not looking to uh, do the burn thing. So I wouldn't necessarily like abandon hope if... Uh, I had already been in blue black, but I would look to like not play that version and play the like value creature version instead. Similarly, I wouldn't assume that it's safe if that wield, because again, it might just be someone who is in a version of the deck that doesn't want prologue. This is to say that I think that trying to track what's like going on at the table with card that's that narrow while like you do want to find a narrow card to get precise information i think it's a little bit too narrow to correctly tell you about blue black as a whole you got to choose whether you opened a blue dominus or the black dominus which one's generally better in blue black or are they both big bombs i haven't looked at the stats but i would be shocked if the blue dominus is not wildly better than the black dominus due to costing less mana and having more toughness 
I don't think either card is amazing. Oh, the blue dominus also like actually meaningfully helps in blue black because it has the proliferate synergy, whereas the black dominus is like pretty bad. Uh, blue by a really wide margin. Control decks in this format, do you find yourself often holding instant speed removal for a two for one or using it as a one for one? Totally depends on the board state. You need to be careful. Like if the thing that's happening, basically it depends on, this is the value of high toughness creatures. Uh, if you have a high toughness creature, then you can wait for your opponent to try to attack into you. You block, they try to use a trick to get through your high toughness creature, you respond with a removal spell. If you don't have a high toughness creature, then they attack, you try to use your instant to kill their thing, and then they use a pump spell and you get to, uh, like, and your thing doesn't work. When I do have high toughness creatures such that my opponent doesn't have profitable attacks, then I'll try to get value out of my instant speed removal spells. And if I don't have a high toughness creature such that my opponent has profitable attacks, then I will use my removal at sorcery speed so that I don't get blown out by a trick. Which version of blue black can you more commonly get a good deck from? I don't know the answer to that. I don't have that much experience and I don't know that it's like, I, I understand how it could seem useful to know, but I think that if you just have the two in mind, know what you're looking for, that you should be able to sort it out pretty easily. And I, I don't know like what portion of the time exactly each will present itself relative to the other. How does Trawler Drake compare to perform compared to Raptor and Necrosquito? Didn't look specifically uh, my guess in general from what I've seen in other data is that it performs significantly worse than Raptor and likely a little bit better than Necrosquito. Um, at least that's what I would expect from it and how I would value it without looking it up. For more details, of course, check 17lands.com and see for yourself. Question, when people talk about color pairs like blue-black, does that usually mean blue is uh, the dominant color or does the order follow Wooburg? Uh, for these archetypes, like when I'm doing the podcast, I'm uh, using it very generically. And I don't know how often I follow Wooburg order versus just choosing randomly uh, which order I talk about them. There are occasional times when I will uh, use it with intent, like putting the dominant color first, sometimes capitalizing the dominant color Capital slash lowercase is the most reliable way to indicate that that it actually means something because you literally have to put one of them first. And so if they're both capitalized, I think it's good to assume uh, equal. And if one's capital, one's lower, then it makes it clear what's going on there. How many Raptors is too many? I love them. They're easy to pick up. It's a good question. It's, you know, obviously more just a question of your curve overall where I think that this is a format that really doesn't want too many threes. If I had, you know, a couple Raptors, I would start prioritizing cards that cost other amounts of mana pretty highly. But I also think that, you know, your deck isn't necessarily bad because you have four Raptors or something. But like at five, I'd start to worry. It's noted that Kaito is a fun card. I very strongly agree with this sentiment. I think Kaito might be the most fun Planeswalker ever printed. I really like that design. I agree. It's really not a question, but uh, I'm, I'm happy to shout out uh, Kaito. Uh, awesome card. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, thanks especially to uh, live viewers um, who gave me some questions to talk about. 
And I will be back uh, next week with another episode, uh, another poll, another topic chosen by the, the patrons. So have a good week and I'll see you then. Bye, everyone. Yeah.